Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Thursday. Thanks for hanging out with us. This is Let's Go There. And we've got a fun show coming up, including one of my favorite parts of the show today. Mm. A Santa is joining us. A real life Santa. A real life Santa, y'all. I can't believe it that he took a little bit of time from his duties to come chat with us about how he's being impacted by the pandemic. You didn't think about Santa, huh? Right. I mean, it seems like we've been good this year because, you know, Well, sure, I've been good this year. I don't know about you. No one talked about that. But he even you know, what? I'm going to save it for the interview because I feel like I got I'm going to be a future Santa in the like in the future. That'd be cute. I could see that for you. Uh, so, of course, that and more on the show today. Uh, but let's get into some what's trending this hour. As more and more states move to certify their election results, Michigan continued to hold hearings regarding allegations of voter fraud. And Rudy Giuliani seemed to struggle to control one of the witnesses and can be seen actually trying to shush her. Did you do you even know the answer to that? No, I guess it's, I'm trying to get to the bottom zero. of this here. Zero. There's zero. So... My question then is if the Guess how many wait what about what about how what what about the turnout rate? A hundred and twenty percent. Let's uh, let's let Representative Johnson ask his question. <laughs> so the- now this is just one moment from this. It was just really out there this entire thing and that was melissa carone a sometimes contractor for dominion voting systems and rather than just answer the questions of state officials she attacked them individually delivered very sarcastic answers and even struggled to explain her job duties with dominion voting so that was a moment Now, in a four to three decision, Wisconsin Supreme Court rejected a lawsuit filed by the Trump campaign, saying it needs to be filed in a lower court first. So the lawsuit sought to disqualify over 200,000 ballots. And let's move on to something different. According to CNN, former U.S. Presidents Barack Obama, George W. Bush and Bill Clinton have volunteered to get their COVID-19 vaccines on camera once it's been deemed safe by the FDA in an effort to gain trust from Americans who are hesitant about the vaccine. So we're going to watch them turn into zombies on television in real live time. That's exciting. I'm really excited for that. Well, that's an assumption. I mean, but um, it, it proves that. This obviously needs to be done uh, and good on them for coming together to do this and being presidential. He needs they all need to take a break. Didn't nobody ask for that, but I appreciate it. Right. They, uh, they should be retired at this point. They're like, we have to do the work of the president since the president's not doing the work. I would see Trump do getting the vaccine. He's probably gonna get the vaccine, right? Um, don't hold your breath. And it might be just like him injecting Sprite into his like, I don't know, into his veins or something. It'll look like a vaccine, but it probably won't be. 
Well, it is yet to be seen if he will join the three of them or if he was even invited. I hope he wasn't invited. I mean, it's it's awful that it took a year like 2020 for us to all like like George W. Bush. Like that's straight up crack. It's a strange time, that's for sure. Now, California regions will face stay-at-home orders when their hospital capacity shrinks to an extremely low level under a new plan, Governor Gavin Newsom's health chief announced today. He said, if ICU units get to below 15% of capacity, residents will be directed to remain in their homes unless they are conducting essential activities. And by the way, we've got Wylam Weiss uh, joining us after this to break down L.A. Mayor Garcetti's latest orders, too. He's the assistant to the mayor of L.A., so stay tuned for that. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so this is time for the Tea Reports, and of course, we're diving into those pop culture stories that you probably didn't even hear yet, but James Corden is under fire for his performance in Netflix's upcoming musical, The Prom. Now, if you don't know, here's a little bit of the trailer. Oh, and the PTA went eight and they canceled it. We have got to go down there yes. and raise holy hell. Yes. We will be the biggest thing to happen in Indiana since whatever's happened in Indiana. So, um, you know, the late night host plays an openly gay Broadway actor near, uh, named Barry Glickman, who describes himself as gay as a bucket of wigs, um, which is a little weird. The movie hasn't came out yet, of course. It doesn't drop into theaters until December 4th and on Netflix on December 11th. But some of the critics who've already seen it are deeming it to be offensive and horrifically bad. Um, one person said, it's the way James Corden is playing a walking stereotype of a gay man and the prom and the jokes consistently take a jab at musical theater gays jokes that coming from a straight man feels gross wow i mean i bet you he wasn't expecting that type of critique uh you think i mean this is surprising coming from ryan murphy he typically brings in a lot of the community into his movies including if it's a gay character yeah and I, I do think, like, I wonder, because James Corden is, has a really strong background in theater and yeah. also kind of understands working with theater gays and all these things. But if, and a lot of people were critiquing him saying that um, it was over-exaggerated. He was at being overly flamboyant to make a joke and it just feels gross. And I think that's the disconnect. And so who knows? Let us know what you think. It's dropping on Netflix tomorrow. Oh, it is? Yes, December 4th. I mean, not... It's dropping in select theaters on uh, December 4th and December 11th is when it's coming to Netflix. And so check that out. Head over to WeirdChannelQ.com. And of course, keep us followed at LGT Show Everywhere. Okay, well, uh, coming up, LA Mayor Garcetti's city lockdown announcement has many confused. So we are breaking it all down with the assistant to the mayor of LA, Wylam Weiss, right after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti is again asking Angelinos to stay at home and, quote, hunker down as the city experiences a dangerous surge in COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations. The city revised its targeted safer at home order late yesterday. Here's some of Garcetti's announcement. My message couldn't be simpler. It's time to hunker down. It's time to cancel everything. And if it isn't essential, don't do it. Don't meet up with others outside your household. Don't host a gathering. Don't attend a gathering. And following our targeted safer at home order, if you're able to stay home, 
stay home. And back with us is Wylan Weiss, the assistant to the mayor of L.A. Thanks for being here. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you for having me on. Now, his announcement left many people confused and pointing out loopholes. Can you explain exactly what everyone can and can't do? Uh, you know, OK, th- th- I've actually had many conversations with a lot of people on this one, especially last night, because there was immense confusion on it. The example basically is this is actually basically the same regulations that you saw with count orders, right? 20% for indoor uh, salon stuff, things like that, right? Outdoor activities only. Please restrict yourself from having any gatherings whatsoever. What this really does is at least it allows the city of Los Angeles now to actually enforce their version of what they need to do. Most of what's going on through county right now has to be regulated and enforced through county measures. This allows Garcetti and the city of Los Angeles to now institute proper enforcement measures to continue making sure that people adhere to the stay-at-home orders. But essentially, they're basically just the same as county. Like, is this, I guess, this new order, is it more strict than it was back in the spring? Like, what are we looking at here? It isn't as strict as it was back in the spring, but it is the strictest we've seen since March. Now, we're trying to fine-tune, this is the hard part, we are trying really hard to not go back to the full lockdown that we saw in early spring because we recognize we have much better treatments now, we understand the disease much better Right. But we're trying to understand, make people understand that this is a very serious situation and we're in very, very big trouble right now if we don't get these numbers out of control. So the position is, again, if you don't have to go out, please just don't go outside. And if you have any plans this holiday season, the biggest recommendation now is cancel them. It's not worth it. I'd rather we suffer today and know that we can have our Thanksgivings and Christmas next year with everybody in their family. Yeah, definitely. What do you think is the disconnect here with people? Because it seems like despite all these things, it's almost like people are, they're not surprised that uh, Garcetti is issuing this order, but they're almost like, nah, like, okay, another order. Here you go. Some of it again, also, I I mentioned before was complacency. Um, People are obviously there is COVID exhaustion. That's undoubted. Uh, This has been a very, very long period of time. Uh, The other course in scenario is, it doesn't help that there have been conflicting information sites, you know, in terms of what is actually happening with COVID. Death rates seem to be remaining stable, but hospitalizations are going up. Different counties having different regulations. This is a problem in terms of trying to get people to understand as a basis and a whole what needs to be done in the immediate future. So the recommendation now, especially with our multiple politicians across the state and even the nation, is to kind of get together and create one major plan that people can genuinely understand. So LA is offering that $800 to thousands of restaurants workers struggling, obviously, and during the pandemic. How long is that going to be lasting? Is that just one time? Is it ongoing? What can you break that down for us? Right now, it's a one time offer. Uh, You can have to you have to apply through the city websites. Again, this is what we're trying to do right now just to get people a little bit over the hump. We know that $800 is not enough barely even to survive, but we're trying to do any way we can to incentivize staying home. More importantly, though, again, this is something we keep bringing up, which is we will do the best we can to help you, but we need the federal government to step in and we need them to step in now, especially as these shutdowns continue. It has been 33 weeks since we've seen any stimulus package nationwide and people are suffering, we need help now. Yeah, again, you're hearing the voice of the assistant to the mayor of LA, Wylam Weiss. Uh, so with that said, there are restaurants coming together and trying to fight these ordinances. At, at this point, there's nothing to do. Where, where do people go from there? Because a lot of businesses, this is going to be the final nail in the coffin. 
You know, it's undoubted. And this is probably some of the hardest decisions we've had to make in terms of city or even county government. You know, how do you balance the welfare and the health of the people while trying to maintain a business? And this is going to be a very, very tough decision. We understand where the restaurants are coming from. It don't don't you know mistake us in that we understand that there is immense suffering right now. Right. But we need to find a way to keep the hospitalization levels down. And part of that is keeping gatherings anywhere down. Because right now, the rates continue the way they're going. The state of California is expected to run out of ICU beds by basically the week before. That's exactly what I was about to ask you. Because we're seeing that surge numbers, 400% surge type of extreme numbers. How are we preparing for this overwhelm that these hospitals are going to feel? Well, we're getting back again with the National Guard. We're working in terms of getting convention centers to work on surge capacity, getting more ventilators, uh, working with uh, getting more PPE from the federal government. But ultimately, it really is dependent on the citizenry to really get together and understand that we just need to hunker down for a little bit. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. We promise you that. The vaccines look very promising. They're beginning to be distributed. We should start to begin to see the beginning of the end of this COVID pandemic. But for right now, we need to work together. All right. While I'm wise, the assistant to the mayor of Los Angeles. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Now, coming up on the show, could Attorney General Bill Barr be the next one on Trump's chopping block? We dive in with The Washington Post next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Attorney General William Barr is on Trump's naughty list. I've been wanting to say that. I know you have. I know you have. After telling the Associated Press that he had, quote, not seen fraud on a scale that could have affected a different outcome in the election. Matt Zapatosky, national security reporter from The Washington Post, joins us now. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Has this turn of events coming from one of Trump's most loyal allies uh, been surprising for you? Oh, extremely. I mean, Bill Barr is probably Trump's most loyal, arguably Trump's most loyal and most effective cabinet secretary. He's taken so much incoming flack for using the Justice Department in ways that really benefit President Trump and his allies, even drawing a lot of internal criticism. So to see him sort of go out there beyond where any other administration official has gone and break with the president on this issue of the election being rigged, it's extremely surprising from Bill Barr, in particular on the issue of voting fraud, too. Bill Barr, before the election, was banging the drum on how mass mail and voting is horrible and it's so susceptible to fraud. Mm-hmm. So for this guy in particular to break, it's really no reason. Well, I think Bill Barr loves to be thrown under the bus. It might be his kink. But um, how is this time different from Trump's past rages against top law enforcement f- officials? We'll have to see. This could be another situation of Trump complaining and moaning and tweeting and nothing comes to pass. You know, in writing uh, our most recent story, I was going back and he complains a lot before he actually does something. Jeff Sessions was essentially on death row for, you know, a year and a half before Trump pulled the trigger. So we'll see if this time is different. Typically, these are sort of pressure campaigns to get law enforcement to do something. Now he's really only got two months to affect some results. So we'll see what happens if this amounts to anything more than just complaining. Right. Yeah. What, what about the probe of the FBI's uh, 2016 investigation into Trump's campaign? How did Barr mess that up for Trump? Well, that some sources tell us is actually infuriating uh, President Trump just as much, if not more than the voter issue. So President Trump, before the election, really wanted Bill Barr to release this report from what people call the 
the Durham investigation. John Durham is a federal prosecutor in Connecticut who's been investigating the investigators who looked into President Trump's campaign and possible ties with Russia. President Trump had hoped, hey, maybe in October, sometime before the election, Durham could issue a report that would be really critical of the FBI, and that would help me win. He didn't do that. Barr didn't allow him to do that, or, or he just didn't want to do that. His investigation wasn't done. And Trump is really mad about that. We now know that Barr had secretly appointed him as special counsel back in October, and Barr kept that secret too. So this is all really vexing Trump. Like, you could have done something to help me with this Durham investigation, and you didn't do it. So he's very upset about that. Ooh. Now you're listening to Matt Zabatowski, national security reporter from The Washington Post. Now, on Monday, Trump's campaign attorney used a call for violence against Chris Krebs, the former cybersecurity official who rejected all of Trump's you know, fraudulent claims. Now, does this set a dangerous precedent moving forward to anyone who disagrees with Trump and this campaign? Yeah, I mean, he also fired Chris Krebs, right? Like, yeah. I think he's drawn a lot of criticism for if you step against my way, then you'll be gone. And, you know, that's one of the the points of our story about Bill Barr. Bill Barr is now in the crosshairs to get fired. And you've seen, like in Georgia, you just saw this election official warning, like this rhetoric is going to have real consequences as people are being threatened. You know, it's not just going to be talk on Twitter, like somebody crazy might do something. So there's certainly um, officials and just members of the public are are alarmed about. Yeah, definitely. And, And how much is Trump liable for actions like that? And at what point is he crossing the line? Well, this official in Georgia seemed to be pretty clearly taking aim right at President Trump. Like he said, his rhetoric is going to get people killed. It's it's sometimes tough to tie that directly, right? Like people get spun up for a lot of reasons, and sometimes they're, um, you know, covering law enforcement, covering threats. You you see in these cases, there's a lot of times mental health issues underlying some of these people. But the rhetoric can play in. I mean, there was a guy some time ago who was sending you know fake mail bombs to a bunch of Democrats, mm-hmm. and he seemed to be. His lawyers told me at the time he was inspired by President Trump. So the rhetoric does have real world uh, consequences. So do we think that Rudy Giuliani is going to be next on this list of people who are now saying that we don't believe you, Trump? There's no evidence here. That would stun me even more than Bill Barr. I mean, Rudy Giuliani. Oh, really? Yeah. Leading the charge. I mean, he's been representing Trump in court. He's been making all of these claims. I know Bill Barr did this before the election, so it is surprising to see him um, make a turn. But if Rudy Giuliani were to turn on the president and say, actually, I don't see any fraud, that would really, really, really stop. So I guess what's the word on the street? Will Barr be out? Uh, It's hard to say. So we, we have heard that it is a possibility. We have heard that Trump is livid. But there are many people in Trump's orbit trying to talk him out of firing his attorney general. In a lot of ways, that would make him look really weak, right? Like, as you know, Chris Krebs talks out about election fraud. He's gone. Bill Barr talks out about election fraud. He's gone. Like, it's not a good look for President Trump to be questioned by his own administration and just cut off the disloyal people. But we'll see. He's very, very angry. It is a possibility. I can't say with certainty one way or the other, but it is a possibility. Yeah. I don't even know if he cares. All right. Matt Zapatowski, we appreciate it. Thank you. Again, Matt is a national security reporter from the Washington Post. Coming up, why you might not be able to bring your emotional support animal on your next flight. The latest airline announcement next. 
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Okay, this is a trigger warning for all those who have emotional support animals, okay? And I was one of them until my ex Wait, took our dog to China. Is this a real trigger warning or are you being facetious? I mean, it, this is hard because airlines might not allow your emotional support animal on the flight anymore okay and this this is a big deal for people because there were rules in place that basically like they had no choice but to say yes to allow your animal on board but now they've made new rules so this is very important to know including going into the holiday season if well, you're going to be traveling here's the thing to be honest no one should be traveling first off let's just start there but two um i'm pissed because i just made coco an emotional support dog my dog because you know as you all know i've been very open and honest about i do suffer from se- severe anxiety and so i that was my next step and also it was just a bonus that i wouldn't have to pay for her her ass on the airplanes but now people want to travel with turkeys and uh, and possums and stuff and they done screwed it up for everybody who has problems So, yeah, this is the thing. Uh, They're saying that only trained dogs will qualify as a service animal on U.S. airlines because regulators rejected requests to extend legal protections to, listen to this, miniature horses, monkeys, and other species. (laughs) I mean, good on you for owning a miniature horse, I guess, and a monkey and other species. But, like, I could see how that could be an issue on a flight. No, I don't understand who needs a miniature horse and who's taking a monkey on a flight. I just don't trust it. I'm sorry. These animals have all types of things happening, like wild animals. I just, where do you put them on the plane? I've been on plenty of planes. There's just not enough room for no damn miniature ass horse and a monkey. If you don't keep I that mean, yeah, chip. The miniature horse is a bit extreme. I mean, I, I've heard people bringing what, like parrots and I, like you could put it in your lap or I guess you could put it in a, a bag in front no, of you. Sure. It got as bad as in 2018. Delta noted that some passengers attempted to fly with comfort turkeys, gliding possums known as sugar gliders, snakes mm. and spiders. People are out of their minds. They need to stay home. So this is the thing. Uh, airlines can still choose which other species to allow on board. But these rules that were actually issued yesterday, they're resolving years of disputes with passengers who falsely claimed pets as emotional support animals, which may travel in the cabin with little oversight. So under existing rules, as we know, airlines were required to recognize with limited exceptions, these emotional support animals as service animals, but now they can classify them as pets. So legally protected service animals are now limited And this is, you got to listen up because I know a lot of you out there are playing by these or creating your own rules or playing by these rules, okay? It's now limited to dogs trained to do, uh, to perform tasks for a person who may be visually impaired or have psychiatric or other disabilities. And airlines do not have to allow your emotional support animal. So So can Coco do these tasks, Ryan? I mean, what's Coco going to do? Like when I'm having a panic attack, lick me to death. Like, I don't really know what the tasks are. And I just think this is going to waste so much time while having the animals out and about and then have them perform. Like that just makes no sense. Leave people alone. People have service animals for a reason, especially the ones when they are realistic. Like I get these other animals, no way. But like when they're realistic, please don't add any extra like travel anxiety to the people who are dealing with that. And they have their service animal for a reason. Yeah, so the new rules will take effect 30 days after publication of the Federal Register. So just what I would say is ask your airline if it's okay to bring your animal on board next time you travel. That's all. 
Coming up, Biden announced who he wants to be his chief medical advisor. The news next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, how candidates for the Georgia Senate race are using TikTok to reach new voters. Okay, I like this. You know, I think we're starting to see more progressives use the internet and really bonding with Gen Z. And honey, he's cute too. Yeah, a lot of thirst traps there. Uh, Plus, who is getting the COVID-19 vaccine first before the end of 2020? And could you be on that list? We're getting into that with our favorite infectious diseases expert, Dr. Michael Sag. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. President-elect Joe Biden told CNN's Jake Tapper today that he will ask Americans to wear masks for his first 100 days after he takes office. And it's pretty much a, a big sign of how Biden's approach to the virus will be very different to President Trump's response. He also offered Dr. Anthony Fauci a job today on his team. Oh, speaking of Fauci, uh, have you spoken with him yet? If so, have you asked him to stay on? Yes uh, and yes. His, yes and yes. Well, and, well, tell me about the conversation. Well, he said what more needs to be done from his point of view. Well, look, uh, uh, my chief of staff has worked with him in the last uh, crisis. He's been talking to him all the time, Ron Klain. I talked to him today. We spoke today at three o'clock. My COVID team met with him. I asked him to stay on in the exact same role he's had for the past several presidents. And I asked him to be a chief medical advisor for me as well and be part of the COVID team. So there you go. Uh, And no news as to whether he said he would take the gig, but he's going to continue at least in his current position uh, with the administration. (laughs) But speaking of uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, he told CBS News that he is meeting with members of President-elect Joe Biden's transition team today. And I'm assuming that's where Biden you know, offered him the job uh, to discuss the incoming administration's response to the coronavirus pandemic. He spoke to CBS News Chief Washington correspondent Major Garrett for this week's episode of his podcast called The Takeout. Major, that in a couple of hours, I'm actually meeting with the entire what we call landing team. When you have transitions, you have teams of people. uh, Well, you I know. I'm sorry. I know you're very familiar with that. Well, I'm going to be meeting with them today by Zoom, by by virtually. So today will be the first day where there will be substantive discussions about the transmission between the transition between me and the Biden team. And do you expect those to accelerate and become almost daily occurrences between now and January 20th? You know, I hope so, Major, because I, I as I've often said, you know, having served six administrations, I've been through five transitions And I know that transitions are really important if you want to get a smooth handing over of the responsibility. So I'm very pleased that today we're having the first discussion about a number of things, vaccinations and things like that. Okay, so that's some news there. Meanwhile, let's move to uh, this White House administration. The communications director, Alyssa Farah, has resigned. She stepped down as a communications director today. Farah has worked in the Trump administration in different capacities for over three years. And in her resignation letter, she said, I'm forever grateful to have had the opportunity to serve my country. Of course. Yes, the writing's on the wall. On the wall, there it seems like more and more people are either getting fired or resigning and trying. They're to jumping off the ships. They're jumping off the ships. 
the Titanic. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right. So let's dive into the T-Report, those pop culture stories that are trending right now. And let's talk Carol Baskin, because Carol Baskin has some drama happening over at the Big Cat Rescue Sanctuary that y'all remember from that whole documentary and the claim to fame thing situation. Well, a volunteer literally almost got their arm bitten off and eaten by a tiger this morning. It's intense. So here's what happened. So the lady, she's a volunteer. She's been working there for a while. Her name is Candy Cowster. I believe she's been working there for years at this point. And she was feeding the same tiger that she's always fed. Um, The tiger's name is Kimba. And in the statement that they shared on the Instagram, they went into detail about what happened and how Candy saw that the tiger was in a corner and and the latch was like open and they were trying to like, she was trying to stick her hand in and shut it and then the tiger literally grabbed her arm and nearly tore it off at the shoulder and like this lady candy is a you know a a woman of age is what i'm gonna say and uh they had to literally take her to the um to the hospital and she even still was like insisted that she did not want kimba the tiger to come to any harm for this mistake now the organization adds that of course kimba has been placed in quarantine for the next 30 days and was just acting normal due to the presence of food and the opportunity but here's the gross part about this they also took time to bring in awareness to the big cat public safety act that carol is trying to fight on the house floor for a vote and basically they Mm -hmm. use this moment to talk about how to eliminate having you know untracked uh tigers in backyards across the country and having them placed in sanctuaries but in all honesty i'm kind of with all like the PETA folks and you share leave these tigers alone and take them back to their natural habitat and stuff like this won't happen yeah they're still being caged here just a bit of a bigger cage than what she's fighting i mean she's pretty much doing what she's fighting yeah and so my thing is it's like you're literally using this moment to one make sure you're clear and like you're in the clear and you're yeah, trying she's to setting the law for herself <laughs> yes it's just so weird if you want to know more about this of course head over to weirdchannelq.com y'all y'all can't convince me carol is not right i'm sorry i, I can't have it there's something off there okay now uh, coming up on the show could tiktok help democrats win the senate race in georgia we're getting into that next let's go there with shira and ryan the new channel q the democratic senate campaign for john ossoff is looking towards tiktok and snapchat as part of an effort to reach young voters in the last few weeks before the georgia runoff election on january 5th mckenna kelly is a politics reporter for the verge she joins us right now thanks for being here so good to be here so this is really cool obviously i mean digital social media is where it's at Do you think this is going to work? And what are you hearing from his campaign? Right. So I think it's interesting that the Ossoff campaign even started a chat in a TikTok, Um, even this late in the campaign season. What I really find interesting is that there was a handful of like progressives who had a lot of support from young folks um, over this year. And even like I'm thinking Ed Markey, I'm thinking, of course, AOC. And they had a lot of Stan accounts on Twitter and Instagram and accounts that just like posted memes and stuff celebrating them. And after the November 3rd election, a lot of those Markey and AOC accounts flipped to Ossoff accounts. I think the campaign saw that energy there and was like, well, I guess we'll, you know, make a TikTok and a Snapchat. And the interesting thing is, too, students for Ossoff, a lot of those Markey stands were already making TikToks of him before, um, mm. making like fan cams and um 
thirst trap videos of him, right? Uh, <laughs> that he's just kind of really embracing it now. Well, the funny thing is, I remember when Bloomberg was running for president and he was actually spending all of this money hiring mean people and like trying to do the social media thing, but it didn't work. What was the difference here? Is it just because he's not likable, in my opinion? Right. Well, my biggest takeaway from the Bloomberg stuff is that you can't buy good content for the most part when it comes to like when you're translating stuff into grassroots action. And the cool thing about the Bernie Sanders memes that we saw in 2016, and of course, there was Bernie bros and stuff. But why that was so effective is that it was authentic. And the campaign was engaging with supporters and voters in ways that they were already doing it on the grassroots level. So that's why I think the Ossoff thing is particularly interesting because they're already fans who are doing this. So why not engage? Why not have that conversation? Uh, it, it's I always bring this up when I talk about this, but um, I think of um, Notice Me Senpai moments, yeah. right? If you guys have that kind of in your lingo. So can you explain that for those who might not know? Right. So it's kind of a thing where people lust after, you know, some kind of figure or um, cartoon character, or anime character, et cetera, something like that. And they love when, you know, somebody notices them. And I think that's the kind of thing that we're seeing here. Voters love to be noticed and they love to engage with people. And I think we're seeing that in politics now, too. And Ossoff is engaging with that. That's so interesting. McKenna Kelly is a politics reporter for The Verge. And we were talking about the Ossoff campaign uh, turning to TikTok and Snapchat ahead of this election, January 5th. I mean, a, a lot of these candidates know that there are a lot of people turning 18 that could possibly vote, these new voters. So do you think all these digital social efforts will actually push them to vote or just get them attention on social media? I think it does drive people to action. Now, you can't find any specific metrics of if somebody posted a meme and then also went to vote. That's like really difficult to measure, right? But I think what you can measure and what I saw all throughout this year was the way that people actually took action. A lot of the people who are making marquee memes, a lot of the people who um, are now making Ossoff memes were sitting in Zoom phone banks with each other, mm. listening to music, chatting in the Zoom Slack. Um, and they were taking those actions, phone banking, text banking, and actually doing something instead of just sitting there and posting. Yeah, I think it's so interesting because I think there's so much infighting happening with uh, Democrats right now from moderate Democrats with progressive Democrats. Is this something that we're going to see actually stick and see some of these kind of older generational Democrats kind of take on being like, this is necessary for us to really continue to get the votes that we need to win these elections? Right, I think for sure. We saw Joe Biden doing really interesting things. And I remember at first when all the campaign rallies shut down, Biden did like a Zoom call with a bunch of um, supporters and the audio sucked. Like you couldn't hear anything he said. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but throughout the campaign season, he got progressively better at it. And his team even made like Animal Crossing Islands and made like a Fortnite <laughs> yeah. map and yeah, stuff. Yeah. So, and, but the thing is, is that... It wasn't like they put, they did it in a way that was authentic to the candidate. Um, in the same way that I think Ossoff engaging with thirst trap content is like authentic to him because that's what you see online. Mm. Biden, he had a little Biden train room on his Animal Crossing Island. It was like wholesome and like yeah. sweet. It's and, your you grandpa know, like, learning how to do, you know, tech stuff. Right. That's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly how they made it feel. So it didn't, it didn't come off as like a, 
hello fellow kids moment right <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i think there's that fine balance and obviously they have smart people running their campaigns for them and so it's like mm-hmm. balancing between what these young people are saying they should do and what feels right for them right and i think you'll see i mean aoc did a twitch stream mm-hmm. um, it looks like the warnock campaign is going to do a twitch stream in the next couple of days oh really too, right he tweeted asking for streamers to reach out to him um and warnock of course is the other senator the other candidate running for senate in georgia against Alsop. so they're both engaging with this. They see a lot of opportunity in this realm. Um, and they're even going to make socially distanced trips to college campuses over the next couple of weeks. Wow. Okay. So they're really betting on getting the youth vote out in January. That's amazing. Well, thank you, McKenna Kelly, for being with us. We appreciate it. Yeah, and it was so much fun. McKenna Kelly is a politics reporter for The Verge. Now coming up on the show, the CDC announced who will get the COVID-19 vaccine first. Did your state make the top of the list? We'll tell you next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. The UK granted temporary authorization for emergency use of the COVID-19 vaccine developed by Pfizer and BioNTech to adults aged 16 and older with the first 800,000 doses of the two-dose vaccine slated to be offered in the country next week. It's happening. And that makes the UK the first country to approve the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. Uh, Countries like Russia and China began administering their COVID-19 vaccines before COVID-19 completing any large-scale trials. So what about the U.S.? Well, back with us is infectious diseases expert, Dr. Michael Sag. Thanks, doctor, for joining us today. Good to be back with you. I mean, it does seem like there's light at the end of this tunnel, that's for sure. Yeah, and I I don't even want to begin to think about what what things would be like right now if we didn't have this uh, light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and, and New York Governor Andrew Cuomo said that New York expects enough Pfizer doses by December 15th to vaccinate 170,000 people and about 40,000 initial allocations from Moderna, Moderna Sorry, this month. What about the rest of the country? Let's talk about what's happening in the U.S. It's being distributed pretty proportionately to the population. So New York being a high-density metropolitan area is going to get more than, say, Alabama. But we have vaccine coming as well next week, and we've been notified. In our case, it's going going to six major hospital centers for distribution, and we're now preparing for that in a major way, as I know most centers around the country are. Yeah, and the Advisory Committee on um, Immunization Practices, they actually make the policy and the vaccination policy to what states should be doing, but they aren't normally ob- uh, like obligated to kind of follow those policy, which is interesting because I wonder, can we really trust states and governors to do the right thing when it comes to the distribution process? Yeah, I, I think we can this time. Uh, yeah, I know there's sometimes people say, well, one state's not doing a mask order, and that seems wrong. But I think in this case, everyone's going to be on the same page. There's been a lot of thought put into the distribution. The first four to eight weeks is going to be more restricted to healthcare workers, and that makes kind of sense because they're on the front lines and other people like emergency medical technicians, but also going to older folks living in nursing homes that have been pretty devastated by this, and they also have a very high risk of dying should they become infected. So I think there's a lot of logic uh, behind the recommendations on how it should be distributed, but if we think, say, four months from now, there'll be enough product out there so that Almost all of us will have access by that time, and certainly by the summer, um, uh, even younger folks will be getting vaccinated at that point. Once we get enough people vaccinated, then we can start to bend the curve, and that's what we desperately need right now. 
Right. Again, we're talking to infectious disease expert, Dr. Michael Sag. Will there be something that we have to wear or have on us that shows that we got the vaccine? How is this going to work? I don't think we're going to be Nathaniel Hawthorne and Hector <laughs> Prynne in a scarlet letter. We have a big V on your forehead. But I think what we will do is have a card uh, that will demonstrate. And that card's going to be important for two reasons. One, you can have it with you so that you can demonstrate you had the vaccine. But when you get the vaccine, that first dose, we want to make sure that you keep that card with you so when you get your second dose, we can make triple sure that you're getting the same product. You get Pfizer the first time, you get Pfizer the second time. You get Moderna the first time, you get Moderna the second time, and so forth. That's going to be very important. Yeah, and through this process, I, I even wonder, like, how are they going to decide who among healthcare workers are going to get vaccinated first, right? There feels like there's going to be an order in... Should we have this plan like a while ago? Are we running out of time here? Well, there has been a lot of thought behind the plan from, for several months. And, and I have to give the government credit for that. Uh, as we roll out into the states, I think the states have been thinking about it. I know, again, in Alabama, I've been hearing about discussions at least for the last month, and now it's coming into fruition. I, I think we're going to be okay, and ultimately, everyone will be vaccinated who wants to be. Uh, it's just that initial two to four weeks when there's relatively limited supply that will be uh, uh, really triaging it to that sort of top tier, but it'll rapidly move to others. And I, I feel pretty good about that. So the last people, it seems like that'll probably get the vaccines are the ones with no preconditions, the healthy, et cetera, et cetera, right? But should we be worried that they could still pass the vac like pass the virus around? Like is that something mm -hmm. we should be thinking about? Yes, it is something we're all thinking about. But and in fact there was an argument several months ago where they said, well, let's not do the elderly first. Let's do all the young people because they tend to be the ones who have a higher proportion of spread amongst themselves. Yeah. I don't think at the end of the day, um, that's going to be the best policy because the older folks, if and when they do it, do get infected, they're going to be uh, highly uh, vulnerable to be sick and in the hospital. And it's the hospitals that are getting stressed enormously right now. Uh, St. Louis, for example, the entire city ran out of beds. What I was going to ask is how many people will it take for the vaccine to work? Like, will there need to be a certain amount of people that need to take it for us to move forward? Yeah. For us to bend the curve, of new infections, about 70, 65 to 70% of the country needs to be vaccinated or have had the infection already. And so that is roughly about 240 million, 230 million people. And so I think we can get that done in the next eight months. That's pretty remarkable. Amazing. Well, Dr. Michael Sag, thanks as always. Thanks for having me back. Now coming up on the show, would you want your employers to track you? Well, Amazon just launched a tech that allows for just that. Is it innovative or creepy? We debate that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Amazon-powered employee tracking is coming to a warehouse and even a store near you very soon. Now, does that freak you out? I mean, here's the thing. Is there really... Is this really anything shocking or new, in my opinion? Like, I feel like Amazon is already kind of probably tracking their employees by all of the intense cameras. Who knows what's happening because now Amazon is like working, has people working from home, like in the corporate space. How yeah. are they tracking them there? But I do think overly surveilling your employees is not going to really create an environment where people want to come and enjoy work, you know? Yeah, that's the thing. This It's obvious why we need tools like this. I, I could see how it 
it's important to understand the productivity. And when you, when you're delivering things or when you're creating products, you need to understand like the, the, how long each task is taking to assemble. Right. And so you can be more efficient. It makes sense. Right. In terms of building a business. However, you know, your company culture and employee culture, you can see how it intersects and it could create a bit of a conflict if people know they're being tracked in that way. But in the end, this was always being done manually. And now we just have technology around it. And that and that's the thing. It, it was inevitably going to get there. So it makes it feel more like slavery in a sense, because I at mean, this point you have your bosses making sure and cracking the whip that you're doing your work and, and making sure you're not stealing things. I guess in the work, like all these things. And it's just already people have enough going on. And it feels like people who are working in these warehouses are already having to fight not getting COVID because that happens as well. I mean, that was a big talking point in the, um, in a lot of these at the beginning of this coronavirus and this, you know, the quarantine and everything. So I don't know. It just, this feels like an invasion of privacy. And I, I just don't know if I like that. I don't like how that really works. The tracking well, is yeah. weird. The, that's the other side of the coin, right? Uh, because it, it's it's obvious that this needs to happen, I guess. Like if you're you're at that scale and that large. And by the way, this is called AWS Panorama. And just to be clear, it they've done everything from social distance tracking systems to automatic tools that keep tabs on the rates of each individual associate's productivity. So yeah, they can track down how long each thing takes. But it, it does bring up many questions. If you've seen the Netflix documentary, and I just re recommend you see it, it came out in 2019, American Factory. The Obamas actually financed that, and it showed what would happen. And, and this factory was taken over by a Chinese company. But what happens when you really, all you do is focus on efficiency, how there's a breakdown, right? Because you are treating humans like, well, robots, and it becomes essentially slavery in a it, way. It most definitely is slavery. I'm sorry, I don't... I don't see it any other way, in all honesty. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and let's talk about what could happen in terms of like the biases around uh, race or even the elderly or those with d disabilities, how you have computer tracking systems or robots, you know, bots saying like, oh, this person's slower, not taking into account certain things or they're, they might, yeah, have certain biases around it. And we've seen that with facial recognition technology as well. Yeah. So anyway, th that said, uh, they are selling this, by the way. So it's possibly going to be in your company or at your factory. I'm assuming my hope is that at least companies will give employees the heads up. It's just more ways for an algorithm to tell you who people are and wrongly identify you. It's just weird. Yeah. So just stay home. Another reason to stay home. All right. Coming up on the show. Now Trump's camp is saying North Korea is involved in delivering election ballots on a boat. What is going on? That's next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, we're getting into the business of being Santa, especially during the pandemic. Oh, it's a hard one. I mean, I'm hoping Santa makes dreams happen still. I thought you were going to say make some drinks for us because we need them. I wouldn't ask. I would make We a need drink an for adult Santa. Santa. Oh, yes, of course. A little milky alcoholic drink. Ew. You know how Milk and an alcohol drink? Gross. All right, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Governor Andrew Cuomo revealed one of the state's first sample boxes of vaccines. The package itself comes with a geo tracker, GPS tracking device that can track the program and uh, 
a thermal monitor so it monitors the temperature of the package. You want to know where the package is and the package has to stay at the right temperature because if it doesn't, then the vaccine is destroyed. And that was the most titillating unboxing video I've ever seen. Now, uh, former Trump advisor Roger Stone claimed without evidence that North Korea had interfered in, in the U.S. presidential election. Stone, who has also previously spoken of his respect for some members of the QAnon conspiracy theory movement, uh, was, if you can remember, sentenced to 40 months in prison for lying to investigators in connection with the Mueller probe into Russia's meddling during Trump's 2016 campaign. And Trump commuted Stone's sentence in July. Now, in a statement emailed to Newsweek today, the Office of Maine Secretary of State denied Stone's allegations saying this, discussing a rumor such as this only legitimizes it. We have no evidence of any interference in our election, and we've completed our certification of the official results. We take voter fraud and interference allegations seriously and look into any substantiated claims. At this point, this vague rumor has absolutely no validity. Wow. Okay, now in a last minute push, the Trump administration announced today that it will auction off drilling rights in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge in just over a month, continuing a battle with opponents and environmentalists before President-elect Joe Biden takes office. The sale, which is now set for January 6th, could be the end to a decades-long battle over whether to drill in that area that's home to migrating caribou, polar bears, and other wildlife. The Trump administration has made it a priority to open the land to development. And we actually spoke about this with uh, national affairs correspondent from the Washington Post, Juliet Alperin, uh, on November 17th. So go to our podcast and check out that episode because it was a really great conversation. And finally, real estate properties owned by President Trump and his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, received $3.65 million of loan money through the Paycheck Protection Program. What? As PPP, yes. That's according to an analysis by NBC News. So Trump also doesn't pay taxes and who knows if his other kids pay taxes, but they most definitely will get some money from the government. Yeah. I mean, this just came out. The news organization analyzed what businesses benefited from pandemic relief programs put in place by the federal government. And they found that the Trump organization, as well as the Kushner companies, which is owned by uh, the Kushner family, received funding. More than 25 PPP loans were given to one of these businesses owned either by the Trump Organization or Kushner companies, and that's from NBC. So yeah, this is coming out. Everyone's talking about it. So that was what's trending this hour. Uh, what's going on in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so we kind of have an early yes queen, and it's something that I wasn't really going to talk about, but I thought, oh my God, this is really cute. Ryan Seacrest has opened up his 11th hospital studio for sick mm. children. Um, now, if you're wondering what a ho- uh, like a hospital studio is, well, <laughs> um, basically he has this thing called Seacrest Studios, and there's one that's just opened up at the Orlando Health Arnold Palmer Hospital for children on Wednesday. He hosted a special virtual ribbon cutting um, ceremony to open the new studio, which is a part of an entertainment initiative that the radio and television host and his family developed to help patients explore the creative realms of radio and TV. Patients uh, will 
will have the opportunity to host their own radio and TV shows, watch live musical performances, play games, and even interview celebrity guests that visit. Justin Bieber popped up, like literally to celebrate this with him. And I guess the other studios across the country, um, they've seen various artists like Selena Gomez, Nick Jonas, Carrie Underwood, Miley Cyrus, and so many more. And I thought this was so sweet. Like, wow, I love something like this. This is a really good way to, you know, have a legacy. I I agree. He's doing some great stuff in the nonprofit space and he's been doing this for a while. And and unfortunately, he doesn't get enough attention. So I'm happy we got to cover it. Yes, for sure. And honey, that's your tea report. All right. Coming up, how Santas are handling a pandemic Christmas season. We'll be back with Santa Ed next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. With social distancing being enforced, malls and outdoor areas closed down, how is the Santa industry going to handle Christmas during a pandemic? I mean, these are serious things we should have been talking about like months ago at this point because Operation Santa... Oh, I'm on it. <laughs> wow, I love the excitement, Ryan. Well, are now, you, Christmas is my favorite holiday. I love it, too, even though I'm Jewish. I'm just saying. I I'm celebrate Christmas. You don't match my level of Christmas-like cheer. I'm, like, here for I'm awful throughout the rest of the months. This is the one month that I'm great. Good to know. That should help <laughs> me survive this month. Uh, now, Santa Ed joins us right now. Ed Taylor, the Santa guy. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. It's, yeah, it's an unusual, different year for sure, right? It really is. I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm fascinated by the Santa industry overall, and hopefully there aren't kids listening right now because there's a business behind Santa. How are you getting creative this holiday season with everything going on? Yeah, you know, well, first, you, you know, I, and I don't know where this will show up in uh, in any of this, but I, I am a uh, the founder of an organization called the Worldwide Santa Claus Network. So we have about 3,500 members around the world. And when the thing started looking crazy in the spring, you know, it was yeah. like, oh, what are we going to do? I mean, and we're all committed. You call it a business or an industry and sure, some make some money, but mostly it's a it's a calling for a lot of us. We just love being that avatar of goodness and kindness and everything. And um, and we wanted to spread the Christmas spirit this season. So we became very creative. And anybody that can see the picture, we're talking now on Zoom. And I'm right here at the North Pole in my Aurora Arium. So we're right, we have the Aurora Borealis right out the windows behind me. Oh, wow. Uh, it, it's an add-on. Mrs. Claus designed. We built this on for this season. <laughs> I mean, you are literally President Santa. It's like wild to me. I just, I think it's really sad, obviously, because so many people, this is unexpected. It's unprecedented. No one was ex- was thinking about this experience and how we're not going to spend the holidays. So what are you all doing? Have you taken things visual, like virtual? I mean, like, how does this really work now at this point? Yeah. So so what happened, of course, is uh, the, the, we've, we have, we went virtual. And then that has been kind of a movement that's been going on for many years. Uh, and in fact, Shira, when we first met, I think it was through Hello Santa, who was doing video chats. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. We've known each other. Me and Santa Ed have known each other for a long you time. You know, Santa, actually. oh, so like 1934 for Shira is what <laughs> we're saying. That's Wait, right. So, yeah, what, what was that? that? It was virtual cards with Santa messages, well, right? Well, it was, it was an app. It was, a, it was okay. an, yeah. an iPhone app. And yeah, and, and we were doing that. So the idea of video chatting with Santa has been around for a while, for sure. Um, but this year, 
you know, it just became the go-to, you know, when, yeah. when kids are using it for school and, and businesses for everything. Um, it just seemed like the natural way to go. And then we upped the game, you know, on, we, I, I host these, these things called worldwide Santa Claus summits. And then we have Santas from, I mean, all over the world. Is there a soul house for some, uh, like Santas? <laughs> I, would, I mean, maybe there's like the elevated Santa Claus. I don't know, but I, oh, I'm starting to. How many black Santas are there? I have so many questions. There's more than up. you, Ryan. I mean, we have uh, we have uh, the Santa D. Sinclair in Atlanta calls himself the real black Santa. Come on, yeah, man. He's he's there, there's a, a bunch of uh, you know a real diverse group of Santas around the country and around the world. It's a secret club, and and. You know, I'm looking at those whiskers on your chin here. You might be joining us here before long. You know what? I love. There's an old Whoopi Goldberg movie where she has like white dreads. I would love to be this like Whoopi Goldberg Santa. Seriously. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm laughing so hard right now. I mean, no, you need a side hustle, right? Don't you? I need money. <laughs> Wait. So Santa Ed is joining us right now. Uh, Ed Taylor uh, and. So are people still doing the in-person Santa thing? Like obviously kids can't sit on your lap or how does, how is this all working right yeah, now? Yeah. So, so, you know, it, people became creative just like, you know, you go into the grocery store now and they have the plexiglass mm -hmm. up and, you know, everywhere you go, you feel like you're in a bank, you know, I mean, it's, it's all of that. Uh, and that's what they're doing with the Santa sets. You know, they're, they're putting plexiglass up, getting creative with their photographs and, so it's not nearly as prevalent as it was, you know, uh, last year. I mean, I'm talking about the in-person visits. Right. They're, they're, you know, they've been cut way back. Uh, and, and some some counties across the country and, and around the world, they've said, no, we're not, you know, that's just off limits. We're not doing it. So so that's, that's uh, forced people just to look at other creative ways. And again, the virtual visits have really surfaced this year as a wonderful thing. And I mean, I don't know what next year will hold for sure, but I think this is kind of here for, you know, to stay at least to some level because people really, really like the experience. I think, and it, it's a surprise, I think, to those of us who portray Santa. And I think it was probably a surprise to a lot of families that it's a, it's a very nice experience. And you know, like I say, then you have the videos. A lot of them can share them with friends and family and yeah, throw them definitely. up on social and all of that. Santa, how can people book you? Or how, is there a site where people could book their Santa to stop by? I mean, just write him in the mail. It's that yeah. simple, Shira. Well, you know, the post office is having issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Oh, man. <laughs> and thank goodness for our, our reindeer and our sleigh. Yes. We're going to hand deliver everything this year. Um, but yeah, ZoomSanta.com, you know, that works. So, okay. Oh, you got the URL. We love it. Well, Santa is Ed, a businessman. You have to. You control so many elves with so many personalities. You gotta be in charge. You're on it. Uh, so many uh, great references here and jokes I could get into, but we need to wrap it up. Ed Taylor, uh, Santa Ed, thank you so much for being here. Thank you both. Oh, Merry Christmas. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. So I loved this moment from the latest Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. 
uh, which just came back, by the way. It hasn't been around uh, for uh, many years, since, I guess, 1999, which is wild. You're talking about the Jimmy Kimmel remake? Like, reboot? Yes, this for latest that? one, yes. Yeah, it's, I feel like it's been out for a minute now. It, no, it, it was just revived this year, but this year has been long, as we all know. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so David Chang, the founder of Mama Fuku, which is a very big restaurant. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, he's like a world-famous yes. chef. Exactly. He's also the host of Ugly Delicious. He's the first celebrity to win the $1 million prize on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. And he picked a really great organization called the Southern Smoke Foundation, a Houston-based crisis relief organization for people working in the hospitality industry to give all the money to. And here's the moment when it all happened. I'm going to go final answer. B, Benjamin Harrison, final answer. David Chang, your metallic testicles just won you a million dollars for your job. So I get so nervous when I watch these shows. I'm so happy it worked in his favor. So congrats to uh, David Chang and everyone who gets to benefit from this. Um, I've been following David Chang forever. I mean, I watch tons of his Netflix content. I'm a mm-hmm. huge fan of his. So I'm not shocked that he's the first celebrity to win. He's actually really, really smart. Um, yeah. And uh, he's been actually very outspoken about... Um, you know, restaurants across the country ending and him even having a hard time with helping his own staff and how important it is that we see the severity of these restaurants closing because we need food as storytellers and mm-hmm. a part of how we experience things. And he, I really just love the way he explains it. You should check him out on Instagram. He's really, really great. He's one of my faves. Oh, love it. Well, that's our yes, queen of the day. Yes, queen. And it also wraps up the show today. But don't you worry, we're back tomorrow to end this week with a bang. Uh, President-elect Joe Biden is actually going to be appearing at the International LGBTQ Leaders Conference. So we'll be covering that. Plus, could BDSM be the antidote to our pandemic-fueled loss of control? You know, we all we always need to throw in some BDSM on a Friday. Mm-hmm. Just saying. That's live here tomorrow on Channel Q, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. And remember, we have a podcast. Just go to the radio.com app and where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Have a great night and stick around for Love Line with Dr. Chris, where they're going to be exploring grief and loss. That's next. All right. Bye, y'all. Let's go there with Shira Lazar and Ryan Mitchell on Channel Q. On the next show, how a Baptist church is paving the way towards acceptance of the LGBTQ plus community. Plus, could BDSM be the answer to our loss of control during the pandemic? Well, something's got to work. Listen live weekdays, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Channel Q or on your own time with the Let's Go There podcast on the Radio.com app.